Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. If you're looking to get in on all of the college basketball action this winter, make sure you go to MyBookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account. And when you do so, guys, you got a chance to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. If you're a new user, just use our code UGA and you will get hooked up with that 50% bonus. Can't beat that. So jump in on the action while you still can. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and the plan today was to make this an exclusive Georgia basketball pod like we did last week. In fact, that's the plan each and every week the rest of the college basketball season. We're going to have a weekly Georgia basketball-centric episode. We're going to recap the games from last week, preview the games coming up over the weekend, and I'm very, very excited to have this opportunity to do that this season. Honestly, I've wanted to do it every single season that we've done this podcast, but as I often tell you guys, we are a show of the people. We try to produce content that you guys want, and when we've talked Georgia basketball in years past, we've tried. Every offseason, we try. Every football offseason, we try because I love it. I'm a massive George basketball fan. I'm a massive Georgia everything fan. That's just who I am. And I do know that there are other George basketball diehards out there, but the rank and file Georgia fan, when we haven't been good for a while, it's been a minute, it's been almost a decade since we made the NCAA tournament, the rank and file Georgia fan just hasn't really cared for a while. So when we try to do the basketball episodes, hasn't been as much interest. So I'm just pumped that Mike White has got this thing rolling again and that the interest in George basketball has picked up in a, on a broader scale this season, which is amazing. So I'm very excited to be talking George basketball all season long. And the plan was to only talk Georgia basketball today, but... Some very eagerly anticipated breaking news finally did hit today, and I know there is a ton of interest on that front, so we are going to cover that here very quickly at the outset of the show, and then we're going to move into the George Basketball Talk, which will take up the majority of this episode. But first, I do want to open with that breaking news. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. I know that you already know this, but let's just reiterate it. The Nick Saban retirement fallout in Tuscaloosa continues as SEC Freshman of the Year, All-American safety Caleb Downs reportedly plans to enter the transfer portal. Now, a little caveat there, as of the recording of this episode, which is early Wednesday evening, 6.25 p.m., he is still not officially, officially entered the portal, at least not to my knowledge, but it 
reportedly is imminent. And there are multiple very reputable sources reporting that. In fact, basically every source out there is reporting that. So he's going to enter the portal unless something absolutely insane happens. And that is not at all surprising. I mean, it's really been almost an inevitability. It was just a matter of time. And it's obvious why. The two big reasons why this young man went to Alabama in the first place was Nick Saban and Travars Robinson, his DB coach. Well, now, neither of those guys are at Alabama any longer. I guess Nick Saban is at Alabama, but not at Alabama. He's, well, he's going to have an office at Brian Denny Stadium and kind of be overlooking things and looking over the shoulder of Kalen DeBoer, which is just a really, really odd setup, and that's just not going to work. But he's not going to be coaching Caleb Downs anymore. He's not going to be coaching that football team. And Travis Robinson has also left Alabama. They made a push, man. They tried, man. They got on their hands and knees. They were begging that man to stay, to come back. But it was a futile effort. It didn't work. Because now, Travis Robinson, as we all know, is at Georgia. So as far as I was concerned, it was just a matter of time. I didn't know when it would hit, but I felt like it was going to happen. I didn't have really any, any inside knowledge of that. No one was telling me that. That was just me speculating, reading the tweet tea leaves, and just you know observing college football for as long as I have. And knowing and understanding how that recruitment went down, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know exactly when, but now we know it happened early today. So why are we talking about this? Why am I opening this episode with this Caleb Downs talk? Why am I pushing back the Georgia basketball talk for Caleb Downs? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, guys. This is, number one, the best player from the biggest obstacle in our conference for us leaving that program. Caleb Downs, an All-American SEC freshman of the year leaving Alabama. I'm not going to call Alabama our biggest rival because they're not, but they clearly have been the biggest obstacle for us to overcome in the SEC on an annual basis, essentially, for the past however many years since Kirby Smart got to Athens even before that. I mean, let's go back 2008, 2012, 2015, right? Like the list goes on and on. So if it was just that, that the best player on Alabama's team was transferring out and was not going to be on their team when we played them in September, that's big enough reason to talk about it, right? But it doesn't stop there because we are going to be a major player and perhaps the leading candidate right now, the leader of the clubhouse to land Caleb Downs out of the transfer portal. And if we potentially have the opportunity to add a player of that caliber, to a team that has very clear national championship aspirations in 2024, you better believe we got to talk about that. You better believe we're going to lead the show with that. Now, I do not want to put the cart before the horse. I, I think that's how that saying goes, right? I think cart before the horse will go with that. I don't want to put the cart before the horse because nothing is a done deal right now. This is college football in the NIL transfer portal era, and everything is just wild. Like, it's the wild, wild west out there. We know that. I mean, Ole Miss thought they had Tyler Barron locked up. They did have him locked up. He was committed. They used their NIL money, got Tyler Barron from Tennessee, and they were like, I'll pump it up. Let's go get all these transfer guys. Well, now apparently Tyler Barron's going to Louisville because they got a better offer from Louisville. It's just the wild, wild west, man. Like nothing, nothing is set in stone anymore. We know nothing. Everything we thought we knew, we no longer know. So I just say that to caution everyone, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yes, I absolutely agree with the notion that we are likely the leader in the clubhouse and will likely be the team to land Caleb Downs. But that is certainly not a done deal at this point. Ohio State, who was a major player in his in his recruitment initially come out of high school. In fact, there are some reports that Ohio State actually finished second as the runner-up to Alabama. So they are clearly going to be a player in this. But I do feel like we are the leader here. And most of the people who cover recruiting for a living 
they tend to agree. Now, this is not a situation where I have any inside knowledge, any inside information. I don't have that right now. I'm trying to get some. I don't have it right now. So this is just me, me speculating, me reading between the lines, me trying to put the pieces together. But here's why I feel confident that we will be the team to ultimately land Caleb Downs out of the portal. Number one, Kirby Smart is just a beast. He's a master. He is a master recruiter. We all saw the dap heard around the world at the SEC Championship game. Like We all saw that. We've seen that probably a million times today. But that's not a new thing for Kirby Smart. Kirby has learned that, especially in this era of the transfer portal, you never say never. You never know what's going to happen down the road. You never know when you might have an opportunity to ultimately get one of these guys that you miss on at a high school, get them in your program out of the transfer portal. You never know. So you've got to keep the relationship strong. You can't hold grudges, no sour grapes. You got to wish them well, wish them good luck and say, you know what? We still appreciate you. We still love you. And uh, let us know if there's anything we can ever do for you, right? Same way he handled KJ Bolden. You can't get all up in your feelings when these guys initially spurn you. You can't do that. It's counterproductive. Kirby understands that. So I know the relationship between Kirby and Caleb was always strong, and it's still strong. That's number one. Now, number two, obviously, he is an in-state kid. Now, he's been in Alabama for the past year, but he was from Mill Creek High School, about, what, 40 minutes from Athens, the northern reaches of Gwinnett County, an area that I am very familiar with. When I first graduated college, I actually lived there for about five minutes before I quickly moved back to Athens. I still have family in the Gwinnett County area. I've actually had family members work at Mill Creek High School. Some of my old high school coaches actually coached at Mill Creek High School after I left high school. So I actually had a few connections there when this whole recruitment was going down, but that's not really relevant anymore because he's been in Alabama. But he is a Georgia kid, okay? Now, Gwinnett County is Gwinnett County, and as we all know, we have not had a lot of success in Gwinnett County for a, what, a decade plus at this point, longer than that. But this is a little bit of a different story, right? Because this is not a kid coming straight out of high school. He's left high school. He's been at a college program, a premier college program. He's seen the other side of this. So it's certainly a different type of recruitment at this point. But if you're looking at who I believe are the two major contenders here to land him out of the portal, George and Ohio State, clearly we have the home state advantage, right? Maybe the home state advantage didn't have as much pull initially when he was coming out of high school because the lure of playing for Nick Saban, the greatest of all time, well, that was enough to kind of counteract that home state pull, but Nick Saban is no longer a factor. I'm not saying that he can't go to Ohio State. He's strongly considered it in the first place. But being close to your family, playing close to your family where your family can come watch you very, very easily on a weekly basis or at least every home game, that's a big factor. And I can tell you guys that Caleb was initially not as driven by NIL. Now, of course, he won NIL money, and that was certainly a part of his recruitment. It is for any player of that caliber, but it was not the driving factor behind his recruitment as it is for some players who tend to just open themselves up to the highest bidder. Downs was looking at development, and he was looking at playing for the greatest coach of all time. And I can respect that. I fully respect that. But now he's looking at that situation and saying, wait a minute, okay, I'm not playing for the greatest of all time anymore. And what about my development? My position coach is now gone. You bring this guy from the Pacific Northwest who's basically gutting our staff. We've got two holdovers right now from the previous staff. How do I know that I'm going to be developed to play the NFL level? How do I know that? How, how do I know they're going to maximize my abilities? Because these guys haven't shown that. They haven't proven they can do that. They haven't put guys in the NFL at my position the way that Nick Saban has, the way that this program at large has. Well, Let's look around the landscape here. Who has done that? Who has a track record of doing that, especially recently? Oh, yeah, 
Kirby Smart, Georgia, my home state school. So I think that's a major factor here. And then, of course, as I mentioned a couple of times, Travars Robinson, we talked about him last week. The fact that he is now at Georgia, his position coach at Alabama, who was another big factor in why he went to Alabama, now he's at Georgia, it just seems almost too obvious. So yeah, that's why I think that we are the leader here. And I think that ultimately we will end up landing Caleb Downs out of the portal. But again, just put it out there. I caution you, not a done deal, not a done deal. But whatever he chooses to do, it's going to happen very quickly. It almost has to, right? Because registration is it's over, right? Like registration, registering for classes, classes that started, in fact, drop ad is over, at least for Georgia. I don't know about Ohio State. I, I would have to double check that, but I'm, I would imagine it's probably done at this point. So time is running out for him to get into school for this spring semester. I mean, at Georgia right now, he would have to basically get like special institutional approval, have to go through a couple of layers of approval, which will get done. It will happen because if Kirby Smart asks for it, wants it done, it's going to happen. But you also can't wait like a month. He's got to get in there and get in classes. And then on top of that, it's not like this is a situation where he's going to have to take a lot of visits because he just went through this whole recruitment process a year ago. He spent a couple of years going through this recruitment process, visiting all these places. He's visited Georgia a bunch of times. He's visited Ohio State. He knows those coaches. He knows Kirby Smart. He knows Ryan Day. Now, here's the other thing about Ohio State. I should have mentioned this earlier. Ohio State, yes, they were a player very much so with his recruitment initially out of high school, but the primary recruiter for Caleb at Ohio State is no longer with that program. And now Charles Robinson with us. So again, just another another reason why I think that we are going to be the landing spot here. But he's seen all these schools. He's seen Georgia. He's seen Ohio State. He knows these coaches. He doesn't really need to take visits there. So I, I imagine it, it really has to happen fast. And there's no reason why it can't happen very quickly because he knows these guys. He's seen these schools plenty of times. In fact, it would not surprise me. Actually, I kind of expect him to make a decision by the end of this week. I cannot imagine it would go much longer than that, considering that classes have already started and been going on for like two weeks now. Otherwise, he would have to wait until the summer to enroll, and I don't see a scenario where that's going to happen. He wants to be here for spring practice. So it's this is going to go quickly, guys. It's going to go quickly. And yeah, I think that we are going to be the landing spot, which is insane. It's insane, guys. I think we're potentially going to have a secondary with Malachi Starks and Caleb Downs at safety. We're talking about two All-American players. You got a first-team All-American in Malachi Starks and a second-team All-American, SEC Freshman of the Year, Caleb Downs. And real quickly, I know I covered this at the tail end of Monday's episode, but in case anyone didn't hear that, missed that, you absolutely take him. I know that we got KJ Bolden. I know that we have Janelle Aguero, who two guys I'm very, very high on. I think they're going to be great players, but there is zero world where you do not take Caleb Downs. We're talking about potentially the best player at his position in the country. I think Malachi Starks is, is him and Caleb are neck and neck, but there is no world in where you don't take him. That's not even remotely an option. If, if you don't take him, that is coaching malpractice. You can't just say, sorry, Caleb, we have these guys, KJ Bolden, Janelle Aguero, who we think are going to be really good players. And we're just going to roll with him. No, you can't do that because we know what Caleb Downs is. You can't not take him. And I know that could potentially upset a guy like Janelle Aguero. Maybe it could potentially upset KJ Bolden. I understand that. But that's a risk you have to take. He is the known quantity. You have to take him. I feel like I shouldn't even have to say this, but you have to take him, right? Like, th There's no question about this. You take the guy and you figure everything else out later. But yeah, you take him and I think we're going to get them. But all right, guys, before we get into our Georgia basketball talk, which we're about to move in here in just a moment, I do remind you about our great friends at my bookie. Guys, Mike White, the Georgia basketball team, 
has made college basketball fun once again for the Georgia fan base. Now, it's always fun for me. I mean, it's always more fun for me when Georgia's actually good. Has hasn't happened in a while, but I always love college basketball. I'm always betting on college basketball. But now I know you guys, if, if college basketball is not normally your thing, well, now that Georgia's good, now you are dialed in, right? And now you can use that knowledge, watching all these games, you can use that to your advantage by going to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, use our promo code UGA when you do so. If you're a new user, you're going to get a 50% bonus on whatever that first deposit is. So if you deposit 100 bucks, you get an extra 50 to play with. If you deposit 500 bucks, you get an extra 250 to play with. You get the idea, right? I'm telling you guys, it certainly helps pass the time early in the college football offseason. It'll help at least get us to spring practice. Then once we get through spring practice, then then it's you know kind of smooth sailing there once we get through the summer. But college basketball is fun, guys. Georgia basketball is rolling. We got a shot to make the tournament, and you want to make sure that you get in on all that action at my bookie. Again, use our promo code UGA, and they will hook you up with that 50% bonus on that first deposit so you can bet anything anytime anywhere only with my bookie hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, guys, it is time, finally, to talk some Georgia basketball, and we've got a, a tale of two ends of the spectrum here, going from the Tennessee game on Saturday to the South Carolina game last night. So let's start with Tennessee. Let's recap that loss real quick, that very frustrating loss, devastating in a way, that loss, and then we'll get into last night's win, huge win, biggest win of the season over South Carolina in Columbia. But Saturday, man, that was tough. That was a tough game, y'all. That was a tough one to swallow. It was kind of weird for me, though, because I think I told you guys last week when we were talking some Georgia basketball, I went into that game fully expecting to lose. It's one of those situations where I have no expectations for us to win that game, while at the same time understanding that, yeah, there's a world where we could possibly win this game. We are playing well right now. We're a good, solid, sound basketball team, and it's college basketball. Anybody can beat anybody in college basketball, guys. Like We see it week in and week out. So yeah, while I knew there was a chance that we could win, especially at home, winning on the road in college basketball is very difficult, I had no expectation that we would do so. So saying that, you would think, okay, well, yeah, we lost, so you weren't that upset. Well, 
When you lose like that and you get so close to winning a game that, honestly, I don't think you really have any business winning because they are much better than us, but you come so close to pulling the upset and an upset that come tournament time could absolutely be the difference between getting in the tournament and being left out of the tournament, getting an NIT bid. When you come that close and you end up losing at the end, all of a sudden now it does hurt because you build those expectations throughout the game. Like, okay, like we're, we're going to win this game, right? And then have the rug pulled out from under you. That's what makes it more painful to deal with. If we just gotten blown out, I'd be like, okay, you know, whatever. Tennessee's really good. It would, would, would not have really bothered me that much because I know how good Tennessee is. I said it last week. I will say it again. That is a Final Four caliber team. I told you guys that coming into that game. Now, I know the rebuttal is, well, yeah, yeah, well, you say that every year. I mean, Tennessee never makes the Final Four. Rick Barnes never makes the Final Four. Yeah, I understand that, guys. That doesn't mean this team is not a Final Four caliber team. I'm not telling you they're going to make it. I'm just saying they've got all the pieces to do that. Will they do it? I don't know, but they've got the makeup to be a Final Four caliber team. I told you guys, watch out for Don Connect. That was the guy. I watched him play for the very first time back in early November when they played Wisconsin. I think it was like their second or third game of the year. They beat Wisconsin. This dude dropped 24. I'm like, uh-oh, this guy is the difference maker for Tennessee because what has Tennessee been in years past? They've been a defensive-driven basketball team. They're an extraordinarily good basketball team defensively. Year in, year out, it's what Rick Barnes demands. But the issue for Tennessee, if you want to make fun of them for not getting the Final Four, which is great, yeah, make fun of them, please. I hate Tennessee. But the reason they have not gotten the Final Four once they get into the tournament is because they can't score. They go into these ridiculous scoring droughts and they play these like, you know, muck it up, just like knife fights. And when you play a game like that, the margins are reduced and you end up losing to a team that you probably shouldn't lose to. That's what's happened to them in the NCAA tournament for the past however many years. But Dalton Connect is the game changer for them. They realize what their deficiencies were, what their shortcomings were offensively. And give Rick Barnes credit. He went out and said, I got to find a guy. And he found his dude. And I didn't know who this guy was. I'll be honest with you. I watched a ton of college basketball. I'd never heard Don Connect's name. He played in Northern Colorado. And I try to watch as much of the, the mid-majors as I can. I had not watched Northern Colorado. I didn't know who this guy was. So the first time I ever laid eyes on him was when they played Wisconsin early in the season. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is the absolute difference maker for them. Then I watched him play in Maui. Uh, he dropped 17 against Syracuse. Then like, you know, 16, 17 against Purdue. And then UNC, a game they lost, but this dude dropped 37 on the road, true road game, at North Carolina. And he's, he can do it all, guys. He, he can shoot lights out. He can get to the rim. He's got good handle. Now, he is a defensive liability. That's what I said last week. It's like a, the Dalton Connect problem is, well, this guy scores. Without him on the court, we struggle to score at times. But with him on the court, well, we give up something defensively. And my argument would be like, you're so good defensively everywhere else, you just got to keep the guy on the court. And that's clearly what they have essentially come around to. But Dalton Connect was the guy that we had to stop. Because if you stop him, then, you know, all of a sudden, Tennessee is 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 certainly more mortal as a basketball team. And we did a pretty good job. Now, he, he came out hot in the first half, then he kind of went away for a little while, and we built that big lead in the second half with him kind of neutralized to a degree. But then he just turned it on late, and we had no answer. We couldn't stop the guy. He just went off. Went off for 36, 12 of 20 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3. Dude shot 62% from 3-point land. And uh, he was just really, truly unstoppable when he wanted to be unstoppable. But that's kind of what this guy is. When he is on and he doesn't want to be stopped, I don't know if there's many teams in college basketball that can really stop him. I mean, Florida last night, or I guess, yeah, was it last night? He dropped 39. He dropped 40 points against Florida. So 36 and 39 back-to-back games. In fact, the last three games in conference play, 28 against Mississippi State, who's a really good defensive team, 36 against us, we are a good defensive team, and 39 against Florida. This guy is on fire right now. He is an NBA player. So there is no shame 
in losing to Tennessee. And there's no shame in having Dalton Connect go off. You know, I would like for us to have limited him more than we did. I mean, 36, I don't care if he's good or not. Like, let's not be giving up 36 points to anybody. But Dalton Connect has been the difference maker for them all season. And he was the difference maker in that microcosm of their season in that game on Saturday here in Athens. Now, if you watch the game, which I know most of you have seen probably did, you know, the first half, it was not pretty, man. I was like, oh my God, just, uh, do, I even, do I even want to like stay here? You know, it's like, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave, go home. Don't want to deal with this. Because we were, we were down 14 at the under four in the first half, if I remember correctly. But hey, they really be back in because we go on a 9-0 run to close the half. We cut the lead to 42-37 at half. And it's like, okay, all right, now we're cooking. Now maybe we got something here. The home crowd gets back in, took us the crowd. It was electric before the game. It was electric early in the game. And then they jump out to that big lead. And it's like, okay, Carl's not as big of a deal. We're not as loud, not as much energy. And then as we go on that 9-0 run to close the half, all of a sudden crowd's back in it. We open the second half, fired up, and, and the team certainly rode that in my opinion. Now, let's fast forward to the, about six minutes left. We're up 11 with just about six minutes left in the game. We had really controlled the entire second half. And at that point, I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm in my mind making like, all right, should I go ahead and like start making reservations for the NCAA tournament? Should I, should I go ahead and start booking hotels in every possible location we could play? And like, that's literally what was going on in my head. And I jinxed this, guys. Usually I don't let myself do that, but I just got carried away because it's been so long since we've been good at basketball and I was getting carried away, but it's my fault. We lost. It's on me. It's on me. It's my fault. I jinxed this. I know. But the point is, we were clearly on our way to winning this game and then Dalton Connect happened. Tennessee turned it on and they played like they are capable of playing and... They, they stole that game from us. They did. Look, guys, I, I, they took it from us. That's a good basketball team. I, I mean, I told you guys this last week. I, I, I still mean it. Like, Tennessee's better than us. Like, we saw that. Tennessee's a better basketball team than us. Doesn't mean we can't beat them in a one-off at home. We almost did. But that is clearly a better basketball team than us. We really had no business coming close to beating that team. If you're basing it on talent and just who's the better team, Tennessee is clearly better than us. And look, yes, we absolutely made some mistakes down the stretch, but to me, watching that game, more than anything, Tennessee just played really well down the stretch. And yeah, we didn't play our best. Like, we didn't play as well as we had most of the game to get to that point. But they just started playing like the team that they really are, which, again, is a Final Four caliber team. I do want to take issue with something here real quick before we move on to the South Carolina game. I've seen quite a few people in the aftermath of that loss saying that Georgia choked that game away. And I get the notion. I understand the concept. Like a lot of people just use that term very loose. Like if you have a lead late in the game and you end up losing the game, it means you choked, quote unquote. I do not see that as a choke job. To me, that was just the better team asserting themselves late. Now, yes, we did make some mistakes, sure. But to me, when you're talking about a team choking, it's more about a team making monumental mistakes and basically gifting their opponent the game. I don't think that's what happened. Yeah, we had a few turnovers. Chiwa, yeah, man, uh, yeah, turnover there. Sure, absolutely. Did we take a couple bad shots? Yeah, we took a couple bad shots. But I don't think we gifted them the game. I think Tennessee just took the game because they're just better than us. In fact, I look at it the other way. I don't see it as a choke job. I am actually very proud and impressed with the fight that our team showed. We were down 14 guys at the under four in the first half against a team the caliber of Tennessee. We could, at that point, have just turned over and folded, right, and just gone into a shell, which is what Georgia basketball teams have done, you know, routinely under Tom Crean. I mean, that's just kind of been the norm, right? But that's not what this team is. This team is full of a bunch of fighters. These, these guys are legit dogs out there. They fight for everything. Doesn't mean that everything they do is perfect. Doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Of course they do. But this team fights. And they've got composure. They've got poise. And they never feel like they're out of it. They are true competitors. 
I mean, guys, this is going to be a very rare occasion the rest of the way this season through conference play that we are going to be the more talented team on the court. It's going to be a rarity. There are a couple of teams like Vanderbilt we're more talented than. LSU, I would say we're a little bit more talented than LSU. I think we're more talented than Missouri. We won that game on the road. I do think that we are a better, more talented, clearly a better team. I think we're more talented than Missouri. Maybe Mississippi State. I mean, Tolu Smith is really, really good. They got a they got a freshman at Mississippi State who's a stud as well. I think we're about even with Mississippi State. But outside of that, guys, I mean, everyone else is more talented than us. Arkansas was more talented than us. I think South Carolina is more talented than us. I think the margins are certainly smaller against a team like South Carolina. I think it's it's very, very close. But we are not going to just out-talent many, if any, teams in the SEC. We're going to have to outplay them, which is what we're doing. And we almost did against Tennessee. We really did. We outplayed them for about 16 minutes or so in the second half to build that big lead. In the last four, they just turned it on. And they're more talented than us. And when the more talented team starts playing at their talent level, well, that's going to be tough. So that's my take on more or less what happened in that game. But I do have a couple more notes here. So during the game, I'm sitting here just making some notes. I just kind of want to run through real quick from that Tennessee game. One of the things I felt that we should have done a better job of, I think that may have actually allowed us to win that game. We did it a couple times, but we did not do it nearly consistent enough. We needed to put connect in ball screen defense. We did a little bit to open the half and we had a lot of success and that's really how, how we turned that deficit into a lead and kind of started to pull away. But I feel like we went away from that. Again, Tennessee, in my opinion, has a Dalton Connect issue. He's their best scorer by far, bar none, but he's a defensive liability, particularly in his ball screen defense. And I felt like we went away from that. Now, one of the things that they changed late in the game, because I know you're saying, well, yeah, we choked, Tyler. We missed all these shots. Well, okay, yeah, we missed the shots, but also let's look at what was going on. To open the second half and late in the first half, what was Tennessee doing? They were going under our screens and giving our shooters wide open shots. They didn't think that our shooters would knock those those shots down and we were knocking them down. Well, eventually they got smart to that and Rick Barnes like, y'all, we can't be going under screens. They fall over the top of the screens and took away a lot of the oxygen that our shooters had to work with and it created tougher shots, more contested shots that we were not hitting. So kudos to Tennessee for making that adjustment. I also felt like this team, which is so good defensively, again, like I said last week, our defense is what gives us a chance to win every single game. We are much better offensively than we have been in a while, but we're not a stellar offense. We're like a middle of the pack-ish at best offense with a top 50 caliber defense. And yes, for people who don't pay attention as much to college basketball, maybe you're trying to get into it. Top 50 defense in college basketball is not the same as top 50 defense in college football. Like top 50 defense in college football isn't that great. Like if you're going to top 30, that's, that's good. Top 50, eh, not that great. Not elite, right? Well, top 50 in basketball is not a necessarily elite, but it's still very, very good because we're talking about 330 plus teams. College football, you have 130 plus teams. So it's a little bit of a different animal there. So we have a good, really good defense. We play really, really hard that side of the ball. Offensively, can be challenged at times, although we, we're much better than we have been. We have some guys that can make some shots, knock some shots down. And again, Dalton Connect is really, really, really good. But there are also too many occasions in that game where our defenders got caught staring at the ball and let Connect get loose. We have not really done that all season. I'm not saying it's never happened, but that's not been a consistent issue for us all year. We've been really connected defensively, really smart defensively, really fundamentally sound defensively. We haven't got caught staring at balls and letting the team's best player get wide open. We did that a little too much my liking. I mean, one time it's too much my liking, but you just can't. You can't let 
Dalton can't get loose like that. You cannot lose that guy. I mean, you almost have to face guard him in some regards. That guy is just unbelievable. He can he can do it all. He can shoot. He can put it on the floor. Whatever. I mean, he can, he can score score the basketball with the best of them in the entire country this year. I also thought we missed too many at the rim, and and you can say, yeah, we missed a layup here, or there at the end. I'm talking about like earlier in the game, first half, early in the second half. We could have extended our lead even more by making just some easy shots at the rim, and those kind of things. At the moment, you're up by you know eight or nine. Like okay, you missed a layup. It's nothing in the world. Well it's going to come back to hurt you against a team like that. You've got to capitalize on all your opportunities. And I felt like we just missed too many shots at the rim in that game. But here's something I felt like we did a really good job at. I thought we did a great job of penetrating and getting into the lane, which I honestly did not expect us to be able to do against Tennessee. The way they pressure the basketball and the way they defend the ball with their individual defense, their man-on-man defense, I felt like we would have a tough time getting into the paint. But I got to give a lot of credit to Justin Hill, to Silas Dimery, to Noah Thomason, all these guys for being able to actually get penetration against that Tennessee Demons. Now, what did that allow us to do? Well, what it allowed us to do was to be able to dish the ball out to the perimeter and their defense had to crash on our drivers to take away the driver, take away his, his lanes of the basket. And so when we dish it out to the perimeter, to our guys staying on the three-point line, their defenders had to close out wildly. They're closing out wildly trying to get to our defenders and get a hand on the ball or at least get a hand in our face. And I love what our guys were doing. When they were getting closed on like that, when they were closing out wildly on our shooters, we just drove the closeout. Instead of jacking up those contested threes, we drove the closeout and had a lot of success with that. So that was very encouraging for me to see because we haven't done that consistently all year, but that's just another sign of really, really good coaching by Mike White. But at the end of the day, while I would absolutely, of course, have loved to have gotten that win, and that might be a loss that comes back to hurt us when it gets to tournament time, selection time, because you don't get opportunities to beat top five teams like Tennessee that often. Now, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to play really good basketball teams, but how many of those games are we actually going to have a legit chance to win, like at Kentucky on Saturday, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes? Like, uh, I don't know about that, guys. Those opportunities just don't come around that often. So you would like to close that game out, obviously. But I also took a lot of positives away from that game and seeing how our team competed and fought against a team that is as good as Tennessee is. And at the end of the day, Tennessee is there. Again, they are a Final Four caliber team. They are there. Their program is there. We aren't there yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. And the way we fought and competed in that game is another sign that we are getting there. It might take a little bit longer, but we're on our way. And when we get back from the break... We are going to talk about a potentially breakthrough win for Georgia on the road at South Carolina, our best win of the season. But first, I do want to remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. I hope you guys caught this by the time you're listening to it. The sale is over. It was a quick little flash sale, a one-day sale on Wednesday. We put the call out on our social media. But even if you missed it, it's all good. It was a 25% off flash sale, one day only on, on Wednesday. They do those all the time, guys. They do those consistently because Alumni Hall, that's just what they do. They treat you guys right. So if you aren't on their email list already, I would recommend you jump on that or follow us on, on social media at Glory underscore UJ on Twitter, Glory UJ podcast at Instagram, because they, they're running those deals all the time. I don't want you guys to miss it. You know, make sure you're following us on social media. Maybe go to alumnihall.com, sign up for their, their email list, and you'll get those emails straight to your account. I mean, they already have the best selection of George Gear you're going to find anywhere else, but why not get it at 25, 20, 30% off when you can? But guys, fortunately for me, I was in there this past weekend. And I picked up some great cold weather gear. I picked up a couple of hoodies, a couple of new hoodies for my collection. Yes, I have far too many, but you know what? You can never have enough. 
At least that's what I tell myself. And yes, I know I have a problem. When I see the Georgia logo, when I see another cool hoodie out there, I got to get them this time of year. This is basically what I wear when I'm not at work. And Alumni Hall, they always hook me up. They've got me covered. Because again, the best selection of Georgia year that you're going to find anywhere. So check them out today in store inside the Epsbury Shopping Center here in the Classic City. Or if you're not in the Athens area, it's all good. You can also check them out online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. But enough of recapping the loss, the, the brutal, painful loss on Saturday. Let's talk about this huge win over South Carolina on the road in Columbia. We hadn't won there in six tries. We had lost 12 straight against the Gamecocks prior to Mike White coming over to Athens. Now Mike White in a year and a half is two in one against South Carolina. That place, Colonial Life Arena, has been a house of horrors for us for six, seven years. So it was just sweet to beat South Carolina. That alone is awesome. But guys, that was our biggest win of the season, bar none. That is our first and only, to this point, quad one win of the season. That is the type of win that could put you on the right side of the bubble come NCAA tournament time. Now, as much as it hurt to lose that game against Tennessee, that was another big opportunity. But I want us to just stop and think about the mental fortitude it took for us to bounce back what, three days after that tough, tough loss at home against Tennessee and go on the road against a 14-2 and South Carolina team in a place that we just never win, flush that Tennessee game, get your mind right, and go out there and win that basketball game on the road. When I say I love this team, that's what I'm talking about. These guys fight, man. They are a bunch of dogs. I really love what Mike White did, not only in the transfer portal, but also in this 2024 or 2023 recruiting class. He got some talented players. Certainly, he upgraded our talent, but he also went out and got guys that compete, that are built the right way, and put all those guys together, and you have one hell of a basketball team. Not the most talented team, certainly not the most talented team, but just a really good basketball team. And I'm not going to lie, guys, late in that game last night, I mean, I was pacing for the last 45, basically the entire second half, I was pacing. And I just couldn't sit down, man. I just couldn't sit down because it's like, I've seen this story, this song and dance too many times. We're going to blow this game. Of course, we're going to blow this game. We just blew it against Tennessee. And we're going to blow this game. And it is what it is. That's just what Georgia basketball is. But no, not this team, not this time. And guys, I've watched every single Georgia basketball game during this ridiculous stretch of sheer ineptitude on the court. I have seen plenty examples of us losing games like that. But this team is different. Doesn't mean they're perfect. They're not. Doesn't mean they're the most talented team. They are certainly not that. Talented, sure, we're talented. We're just not that talented. But this year, we've got a good group of dudes who fight, who work, who compete, who want to win. And we've got a coach who knows what he's doing in building the right culture from within this program. So huge win. It won't matter if we don't continue to win. I mean, we're only four games through conference play. We got 14 more of these things to go. We've got to win the games that we should win. We've got to go beat Vanderbilt on the road. We've got to hold serve against South Carolina at home. We've got to beat LSU, ideally, both in Athens and in Baton Rouge. We've got to win those toss-up home games against the likes of Ole Miss and Florida and Texas A&M. And then find a way to pull an upset or two against teams like Auburn or Kentucky. Alabama, those kind of teams. We got to continue to win, but if we do what we need to do, hold serve at home, beat the teams that we should win, this is the kind of win that puts you in the tournament, that gets you on the right side of the bubble. 
Now, with the way college basketball works, we need South Carolina to also continue to win at a solid level because we need that to continue to be a quad one win, which means that we need them to stay inside the top 75 of the net rankings. I think they were like 55 coming into last night's game. I think they dropped into like the low 60s today. So we really need that to stay inside the top 75. But that's a huge win, guys. An absolutely huge win for this program and and our chances to, who knows, maybe possibly make a run to the NCAA tournament, which... With each passing game, guys, I'm starting to feel more and more like this is a legitimate possibility. I've been very cautiously optimistic. I'm starting to remove the caution. It's still there, but now instead of having that yellow caution tape kind of lining everything that I can possibly see, there's only a line or two of that left. I believe, guys. I believe in this team. But before we get to the preview of this weekend's game, I do have a couple more specific thoughts coming out last night's game. I wanted to cover like the big picture look at it first, but I do have some specific thoughts from that game. First off, I, I want to give Mike White some serious credit here. This guy coming out of timeouts, especially with his out-of-bounds underneath plays, is starting to become elite with that. The way he is consistently getting our shooters open and getting them very clean looks, coming out of timeouts, coming out of those out-of-bounds underneath situations, I guess the thing, guys, it's not just something that I've seen like once or twice. It is becoming a consistent theme. I mean, if you didn't know already, if you couldn't tell by our 13-4 and start to the season, this guy can coach. This guy can coach. And that's just one small example of why. Here's another example of why. So late in the game, when the game was, it was tight, man. It was tight, right? Like we we built a decent lead, but Carolina made a, a strong little comeback late in this game, and they're making a push. And the crowds into the game, and we just saw what happened on Saturday, kind of blowing that game down the stretch. Lose, I don't know, if blowing is the right word, but losing the game down the stretch. White did a couple of things that I loved. Number one, he kept the guys on the floor that were playing at a high level. He didn't necessarily stick to his rotations. I mean, Noah Thomason, who I still believe is our best scorer on this team. Now, he can come and go at times and be very streaky, but I still think he's the best pure scorer on this team. He basically didn't play the, the essentially the last 10-ish minutes of the game, or very, very little the last half of the second half. And we roll with Silas Dimery, Justin Hill, Blue Kane, Jabri Abdurrahim, and Frank Anselm, which I'm going to get to here in a minute. But those guys were getting the job done. And he stuck with them. There's too many coaches I see when I watch college basketball games that feel like they got to stick with this built-in rotation. And the guys that get you this lead, that are playing at a high level, you take them off the court. It's like, why? Why would you do that? And Mike White, to his credit, did not do that in this game. And I think he's done a good job of that most of the season as well. That's just obviously the most recent example of it. But not just that. He also, by keeping the right guys on the court, that's step one, but he also played to their strengths when they were on the court. Multiple possessions down the stretch of that game. He ran actions, ran plays that basically cleared out the right side of the court for Justin Hill to go one-on-one. Why does that matter? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Justin Hill is a dominant right-hand driver. He can use his left, but he is far more comfortable going to his right, finishing with his right at the rim. Mike White knows his player. Number two, Justin Hill is our best ball handler on the team, in my opinion. Silas Dimery is a good ball handler. He's our starting point guard. But I trust Justin with the ball in his hands in those situations more than I do Silas right now. He's a vet. He's been around longer. He's done it. He's been in in these situations more consistently. But he's also just a really crafty finisher. He's not a big guy at all. I mean, Silas is obviously bigger. But 
Hill has this ability to kind of finish over the top of guys that are bigger than him and just finish at the rim. He's very, very crafty at that. And he's got great quickness. So if you clear out one side of the court where there's no help defense, which is the situation. Justin Hill, on just about anybody, with his quickness and how well he handles the ball, he also does a great job of changing speeds to keep the defenders off balance. But there are very few players in this country that I don't think Justin Hill can get around one-on-one. The issue for Justin at times is when he gets past that first defender, you have help defenders who are bigger and longer than him, and it can be tough for him to finish over those guys. So give White credit. He knew that if you get Justin Hill one-on-one with no help defenders possible over there, that he would have a really good chance to get an easy look at a basket. I mean, the dude is ice cold. I mean, this guy has no fear. I mean, he hit that shot where we were up 68-64, I want to say, with about 40-ish seconds left in the game. It's late in the shot clock. If they get a stop there and they get the ball and they go down and they get a quick bucket, all of a sudden it's a two-point game with about 25, 30 seconds left. The crowd's into it, going bananas, and then we have to get the ball in balance, have to make some free throws. It's game on if he doesn't make that shot. But he pulls up mid-range, drains the shot. And I, I, I keep seeing people say that we don't have like a guy to close the game out, a guy that wants a shot, that go-to guy at the end of games. Now, I understand to a degree that we don't have like a Dalton connect. We don't have that dude that's going to go drop you know 20 points a game. We don't have that guy. That's true. That's very true. It's seemingly someone different every single night, which I think in a lot of ways can be a strength because you have a number of guys that can, that can step up and be that guy on any given night. It's tough to stop a team when it can be this guy that one night. It can be that guy one night. But down the stretch of games... Justin Hill has largely been that guy for us. I mean, let's go back to the Florida State game, guys. I know a lot of people weren't really dialed into college basketball at that point in November. Obviously, college football season was nearing the postseason, and we were making that hopefully a run to another national championship. Obviously, we know it didn't work out. So I get it if you weren't dialed in. It was a late game. It was a 9 o'clock game with Florida State, who wasn't really good at that point. Had had were terrible last year. But we were down like 17, 18 points that game. We made a valiant comeback in the second half. It looked like it might fall short, but Justin Hill, ice cold, makes the game-winning shot. He wants the ball in those situations. The pressure does not get to him. I'm not going to say he's going to make every one of them. He's not like no one does, by the way, but that guy is a closer. He is our closer on this team right now. There's a reason why he is on the court late in games like that to close him out. He is that closer. He is that guy. He's the one that wants the ball. He's the one that, that relishes those moments. And it appears he's the one that Mike White trusts and the team trusts in those situations. So love me some Justin Hill. Now, another guy that I thought stepped up huge last night for us, he didn't play that much, but Frank Anselm, who is basically our our third string five at this point. We've been going with Chiwa to start games. And then Jalen Deloach, who in my opinion is really a four, he's been playing the five for us to back up Chiwa. Anselm got some minutes in non-conference play in, in, in certain games. But when we hit SEC play, this dude has basically not seen the court. He did not log one minute against Missouri. He played seven minutes against Arkansas, didn't log any minutes against Tennessee, but came off the bench to play 14 huge minutes for us last night. And he played the majority of the second half, especially uh, the back half of the second half. Now, now, Frank has his flaws. There are reasons why he has not played a ton to this point. Now, he's, he was originally a guy that we got from Syracuse last year, played a fair amount last year. He, he was our backup five behind Bridges, but he wasn't like a, a much of a factor, to be honest with you. And this year, again, non-conference play, saw, saw the court, you know, a fair amount, but wasn't really much of a factor even in non-conference play. And he's completely been a non-factor now that we've hit SEC play. And again, there are reasons for that. 
he's really kind of awkward out there. I think it's the only way that I can describe it. He's really long. That's one of his strengths. He has great length. He's got good athleticism, but he just seems kind of like disconnected, kind of awkward out there. Gangly, I guess, is another word I can throw out there. Doesn't always catch the ball cleanly can make some really questionable decisions with the ball in his hands at times. Just his feel. His feel for the game sometimes you question when you watch him out there playing. But saying all of that, I think that he needs to play more. And this is not just an overreaction to what happened last night. I know that that would be easy to dismiss what I'm saying here. Just, oh, you're just overreacting to last night. No, this is actually a thought that I've had really since the Missouri game. Because Russell Chiwa was awesome against Missouri. We don't win that game without him. 18 points, 11 boards. Big-time effort from Chiwa, and he's got that in him. But here's the thing with Russell Chiwa. He is a quintessential bully. When he is just bigger and stronger than the guys guarding him, he can be a big-time force. But like a typical bully, when someone his size that's as big and bad as he is steps up to guard him, he all of a sudden disappears. And you realize, oh, maybe he isn't so big and tough after all. And look, Russ plays hard. Big Russ plays hard. I'm not questioning that at all. But there are some deficiencies in his game too, just like there are in Frank's game. Like neither one of these guys are perfect. They both have holes in their game, but you have to pick the lesser of two evils. And with Chiwa, yeah, he's a big, tall guy, big, tall, physical guy, seven foot, 270, whatever, right? But he's not really active and he does not play above the rim at all. He doesn't really give you much rim protection because he doesn't really jump well. He's got good feet. Like he can, He's actually shown at times throughout this year that he can get out and guard a guard or a ball handler on the perimeter and, and do that competently. Like I've seen him do that multiple times. Like, okay, like he's got good footwork. It's not like he's a bad athlete, but when he gets in the paint, he's just not very active. He's not a great rebounder because like the ball comes to him, like he can he can devour it, but like he's not gonna like move around and and contort his body to get rebounds. Like that's just not what this guy does. That's not what he's built to do. But Frank has so much more athleticism. Now, he's not as thick, obviously. And Frank is probably not going to give you as much offensively. Chiwa is a more polished post player. And you saw in the first half, he had, what, like four buckets in the first half? And I thought coming into the game that Chiwa could be a massive factor for us in this game because like the Missouri game, he's just bigger than anyone they can put out there to guard. And now Gray coming off the bench is about his size. He only plays like 10 minutes a game. But BJ Mack basically plays the five for them. He comes from Wofford. He's like a, a perimeter big. He's like six seven, six eight. So I felt that coming into the game that Chiwa could have maybe like a Missouri-type game because they just didn't have any size. And again, he's a bully. When the guys defending him are that undersized, he just pushes them around. He bullies them. And he was doing that early, and I was like, hell yeah, let's go. But then he got a little frustrated at times. Seemed like his head was out of the game. They were starting to get way too many offensive rebounds, which, by the way, that continues to be the biggest issue for this team. We have got to find a way to clean up the defensive rebounding. Tennessee down the stretch got way too many second-chance points and second-chance opportunities. Same thing with South Carolina. If we didn't give them as many second-chance opportunities, we could have run away with that game, and I would have been pacing around for the past 30, 40 minutes of that game. And a part of that is Chiwa. I mean, I, I don't... I hesitate to call him lazy. I don't want to call him lazy. He's just not active. That's the, that's the phrase I'm going to use. He's just not super active down there. And they were getting rebounds. And they were out because they were, yeah, they were undersized, but they were more active. They were a little bit more athletic and they were getting those balls. What Anselm brings you is more athleticism. And coming along with that, you get more rim protection. Also, and this was a big deal last night with both Anselm and Jalen Deloach. They play ball screens better. Their ball screen defense is just better because they're more athletic than Chiwa is. Teams can put Chiwa in ball screen action 
and he has a lot of issues with that. Like he, That's not his specialty. He is not particularly good at that. And South Carolina started to do that to him, and Mike White, to his credit, sees this as like, you know, we got to get more athletic out there. We got to get more athletic out there. We got to clean up the boards. We got to keep their athleticism off the boards, and we've got to defend the ball screen better. And so he, Deloach typically is the guy he puts out there in situations. He only played, I mean, he went in first behind Chiwa, but he didn't play much at all. He played like single-digit minutes. But Anselm in the second half is the guy that got the call and he showed up in a huge way. Five points, five rebounds, two blocks in 14 minutes. Compare that to Chiwa. Yeah, he had eight quit points. He, had, he added another, another one on a free throw. So he had nine points, but only two rebounds in 19 minutes. I'm telling you guys, if we want to get to the tournament, we've got to clean up the defensive rebounding. I think Frank could be a big part of that answer. I also like Deloach. I, I really do. Like coming into this game, I was feeling like Deloach needed to play more. I wasn't thinking as much Frank because I hadn't seen as much of him recently, but I've liked what I've seen from Deloach for a lot of the same reasons I liked what I saw from Frank last night because he's more athletic. He's more active than Chiwa is. I thought Deloach gave us big minutes against Tennessee. I'm not saying that Chiwa should not play at all, but I want to see more minutes for Frank and Deloach. I, I think it should be about what it was last night. So Chiwa played 19 minutes. I think he should play about 19, 20-ish minutes a game, about half the game. And then Frank or Deloach, however you want to split it up, those guys should play more. Probably Frank, if he can play like he did last night, because he has that size. He's essentially a seven-footer. Deloach, again, is really a four. He's like six nine. He's kind of being pressing duty to play the five. It's not really what fits his game the best. But I love his athleticism. I love his activity. But So I'd probably go with Frank, because he has all of that Deloach has, plus the size. Another thing that Deloach and Anselm give us that Chiwa doesn't really give us, they're rim runners. You can do a lot in the lob game with those guys. Run some pick and roll and get some easy buckets. You can't really do that with Chiwa because, again, he doesn't play above the rim. And maybe it's that one of those things where it's more of a matchup deal, right? Depending on the team you're playing. If, if we're playing a team that has a, a big like Chiwa, then you got to go with Russ because, I mean, Deloach, you're not going to be able to match up with him. Frank can get pushed around at times. Another one of his deficiencies because he's really, really thin. He's not quite seven foot. He's what, like 6'10", but only like 210, 215 pounds. So he's light for that size. But when you're playing teams like South Carolina – who want to spread the floor a little bit more and they got more athleticism on the court, you probably want to go with Frank and Deloach more. And it's great that we have the depth that gives the luxury to do that, to mix and match based on the opponent. And last thing before we move on to the preview of the Kentucky game this weekend, RJ Melendez. I, I've loved this guy's game all season long. He makes a lot of those winning plays that only show up on a stat sheet. He's a really good defender. He's really long. Now, he's struggled to shoot the ball, though, all season long, especially from the three-point line. What I've consistently heard, though, throughout the season is that this guy is knocking them down consistently at practice. They're just not falling in games, which is why you continue to see him throw him up. He's got the green light. But he was shooting like 17 18% coming to last weekend. But over the last two games against Tennessee and South Carolina, he is now four for his last eight from three. He made eight over the course of our first 15 games. He's made four in our last two games. So I'm hopeful maybe possibly it's starting to click for him from the three-point line. Because if it does, that adds another dimension to his game. But that also adds another dimension to our offense. Makes us much more difficult to defend. But all in all, great win, fantastic win. I know that we're going to play better teams. And South Carolina's record right now, I mean, coming into that game 14-2, was it a little bit inflated? Yeah, sure. They didn't really play much of anybody in the non-con. Clemson was the best team they played in non-conference, and they lost that game. But it's still a good, solid basketball team, and it's on the road in a big arena at a place that we never really win. So great win. But I do quickly, before I get out of here today, I want to look ahead 
to Saturday's matchup on the road in Lexington, Rupp Arena against the Kentucky Wildcats. And y'all, I, I'm just going to be real with you. That's going to be a tough one. It is going to take our absolute best effort, like A+, plus, A+, plus, 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 plus game. And Kentucky's probably going to have to play a C-ish level game for us to win that game on the road. I believe Kentucky is the most talented team in the entire country. Does that mean they're the best team? Not necessarily, but on any given night, I believe they can be any team in the country. I don't care who it is, Purdue, Arizona, North Carolina. I do not, and they already beat North Carolina. I do not care. They are the most talented team in the country. They have two guys coming off the bench in Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham who would start for, I would say, 99.9% of the other teams in the country. I think Reed Shepard is their best overall player. Certainly not the most talented player, like physically gifted, but in terms of playing the game of basketball, that dude is awesome. He can shoot, he can handle, he plays defense, he rebounds, he does all the little things that don't show up in the stat sheets. Guy is incredible. But you got Rob Dillingham come off the bench, who is just a, a firecracker, man. That guy is explosive. I haven't even mentioned DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards, who start for them, who were more highly rated than both Dillingham and Shepard. I think that Dillingham and Shepard are better in my opinion it's weird to me that they come off the bench maybe Cal just wants that that offense coming off the bench that way I don't know it's weird but man the talent is just unbelievable now the issue with Kentucky and I don't know how much of an issue it's been for them is yeah they're really really talented but they're very young they do have a couple of vets that play for them Antonio Reeves is an awesome shooter and he's he's really also improved his game with the ball on the floor this year, I think he's done a really good job in that regard, which he was almost more, not entirely a spot-up shooter last year, but that was really more or less his game for the most part. You got Trey Mitchell, who's played at Texas. He's played at West Virginia. Now he's at Kentucky. And this guy is the the unsung hero of that team, I think. I mean, he's not the most talented player, but there are games where they, he just doesn't come off the court. He plays 40 minutes because he's just so valuable to them. He can knock down threes from the perimeter. He can put them on the floor, get to the rim, he can rebound. He can, he can defend the 3-4 or 5 position. And they did lose a couple of games early. They lost to Kansas in the Champions Classic, but at that point in the season, they had no size. They basically had no center because they were waiting on clearance from the NCAA for a couple of guys. But now... Aaron Bradshaw, who was actually injured. He was injured to open the season. He was another big-time recruit for them. He's a seven-footer. He's 7'1", really athletic, can also step out and knock down the three. And then backing him up, they have Onyenso, who gives them another seven-footer. And when they played Texas A&M on Saturday, it was a really good basketball game. A&M ends up winning in overtime. But Onyenso played the vast majority of that game for them because Bradshaw was dealing with a lot of foul trouble. I mean, he barely played. It seemed like he was in foul trouble the entire game. First half, second half, as soon as he come in, he'd foul somebody. But Onyenso played really, really well in the game. So now they have the size to go along with that perimeter play. And I'm telling you, man, I don't think there's a more talented roster in the country top to bottom. And the depth they have is ridiculous. Like, talented depth. I told you I think Tennessee is Final Four good. I don't think Tennessee's national championship good. I think Kentucky's national championship good. Now, they got to continue to grow, and they'll, they might take some lumps of conference play with, with some of the growing pains of the young guys. But when they get to tournament time, man, this team is going to be hell to deal with. I mean, I know Cal is not the greatest in-game coach, which can be a liability at times for them when they get into the tournament setting. 
But man, that talent is out of control, which is why I'm having a really hard time seeing a path to victory. What we're going to have to do is muck the game up. That's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to play really, really hard defense, get in their face, pressure the ball, make them earn absolutely everything. We're going to have to do a really good job of keeping them out of transition because in transition, they essentially cannot be stopped. So how do you do that? Well, number one, you take good shots offensively. When you take really bad shots and you don't get the rebound, those turn into runouts for the other team. And when it's Kentucky that's turning into a runout for, lights out. So take good shots, take care of the basketball, limit the live ball turnovers. In fact, eliminate them. That would be great. And that really hasn't been much of an issue for us this year. It really hasn't. You know, the past you know, three, four, five years been a major issue for us. But we've done a much better job of protecting the basketball because we actually have legit ball handlers and we utilize more than one of them. So if we're even going to stay in the game and even think about having a chance to win it, we got to keep them out of transition. We have to play really tough, really physical defense. Make them earn everything. Do not blow assignments. Do not get caught looking at the ball like we did at times against Tennessee when we let Connect get loose. And then we're just going to have to hope that they basically overlook us, which they're probably not going to do considering that we're three and one coming into this game in the league, or just hope that they have just a horrifically bad off day. Like I always say, it's college basketball, so anybody can be anybody on any given day. It's possible, but it's going to take a perfect storm of sorts for us to do that. I'm just going to be real with you guys, which is okay. Like This is not a game that we have to win. Now, if we get it, great. This is a luxury game for us. Like To me, this is a game that we come into with house money. Getting that win at South Carolina, getting to three and one, allowed us to go into this game in that situation where it's it's house money. Like this is a luxury. Like we, I don't expect to win this game. We probably have no, we, not probably, we don't have any business actually winning this game. Kentucky is significantly more talented and significantly better than we are. But you go in there, you throw a couple punches, you give them their best shot, and you see what happens. I mean, right now I feel great about things, guys. If, looking at our first five conference games earlier in the season. I felt if we could get through these first five games, two and three, we'd still have a shot to get into the NCAA tournament. I thought we'd put ourselves in position to, to maybe be able to make somewhat of a run to be on the bubble. Getting to three and two leaves us in great position. And we're already there. We're already at three and one. If we lose this game, okay, like we're not supposed to be Kentucky. We come back home next week, play LSU. You win that basketball game. You get to four and two. And then you go play Florida on the road next Saturday. Yeah, it's on the road. It's going to be a tough game. Florida is more talented than us. But they're not playing great basketball right now. That's a game that we can win. I don't know if I expect us to win. I don't know if I would say that we should be favored. But it's a game absolutely is within our reach of winning. Kentucky, I, I don't know, man. But again, that's okay. Lose this game. Beat LSU. Get to 4-2. and two. Who knows? Maybe beat Florida on the road. Get another quad one win. Get to 5-2. and two, And then we are rolling. So we're fine. We're fine. If we lose this game... We are fine. So don't freak out. If we get blown out, if we lose by 30, it's okay. Don't freak out. Understand, Kentucky might end up being the best team in the country by the end of the season. And in my opinion, for my money, they clearly are the most talented team. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory J Podcast. We will be back later this week. Got one more episode. I'm finally going to get to all those mailback questions that we've had to put off for, what, about two weeks now? We're getting to them. Come hell or high water, it's happening tomorrow. I will be recording that episode. I'll get that out to you guys on Thursday night. You have it Friday morning when you're going to work or whatever it is that you listen to the pod. And we'll be back next week with more Georgia football talk and more Georgia basketball talk again. We are going to have a Georgia basketball-centric episode on a weekly basis through the entirety of the college basketball season, the rest of the college basketball season. So I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about that. 
because this team is incredibly fun to watch and they are playing some really, really good basketball. The best basketball I've seen in Athens in maybe 15 years, guys. It's been a minute. But okay, I gotta get out of here. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. I'm Tyler. And of course, as always, go dogs.